Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us and letting us be part of your day. Lots to talk about today. The focus uh, more and more on that G20 meeting coming up, and will that kind of kickstart talks and efforts to get a deal done with China? A lot of hope pinned on those uh, meetings coming up. We'll talk about it with Dave Salmonson. Senior Director of Congressional Relations for the American Farm Bureau Federation. Plus, Mexico has approved USMCA. Where do we stand here in the U.S. and efforts in Congress to get it passed? We'll get an update on that. Arlen Suderman with INTL FC Stone joins us. Always lots to talk about with the markets, especially this year. And we'll get his outlook. And that controversial move of those two federal research agencies from Washington, D.C. to Kansas City. We've talked a lot about that, and even in the news today, there is uh, a report questioning uh, the the administration's claims that it's going to save money. And in fact, uh, the research community saying they they've looked at the numbers and says it will cost us money. So that controversy continues. But in the Kansas City area, it's welcome news, and we're going to talk about that with Bob Peterson, the executive director of the Agricultural Business Council of Kansas City to uh, look at the impact on that region that these agencies moving there will have. But again, there's a lot of controversy around that. One of the things we can talk about now with Phil Brasher with AgriPulse Communications. Phil, thanks for being with us. That that uh, move of those agencies, wow. I mean, this story has been going on for some time, ever since the word got out that uh, the administration wanted to move it, move them. And um, it looks like that controversy is not going to die down anytime soon. No, it's not. I, I don't know whether uh, the critics of it can stop it. Um, I think you have to understand the backdrop of this is the budget proposals that the White House made to really slash uh, uh, the Economic Research Service in particular and get rid of uh, a number of the research area programs that they were doing. Um, and that's the, that's the backdrop, and it has led to a lot of suspicion that this is really a uh, backdoor attempt to uh, get uh, uh, the ERS and get rid of stuff that uh, the research area and research programs that the, the administration doesn't like. Um, so that's that's really driving a certain amount. Of, obviously, there's a lot of unhappiness with, uh, with employees, but it uh, really goes beyond that. Yeah, there are several layers to that for sure. All right, let's talk about spending bills being worked on in Congress. Uh, where are they at? Uh, well, they <laughs> they are start, certainly starting to move in the in the House. The Democrats who control the House are bringing bills uh, to the floor, packages of what we call mini buses uh, to the floor. Right now, there are a five bill uh, mini bus. Uh, that includes the uh, bill for the agriculture for, for USDA and FDA and the Commodity Futures Training Commission. Also includes the Interior Department and EPA. So uh, uh, some uh, bills that are rather important to agriculture are uh, all folded into this uh, very large uh, bill that's uh, right now on the House floor. And what are the chances of passage? Are they, are they close to an agreement? Well, they will pass it. The problem, uh, the real problem is a much bigger problem, is that uh, the Senate and House, and of course controlled by Republicans, the Senate and House have not agreed with the White House on uh, spending levels for the new fiscal year, which starts in October. There's talks that are, that are going on, but until they can agree on those spending levels and increasing the caps that, uh, that were set back in 2011, um, well, these numbers that are in this house bill are just a negotiating position because there's uh, there's no agreement with the, again with the senate or the white house on how much to be spent in the next fiscal year so kind of unfortunately that's business as usual not being able to come yeah. to an agreement exactly um yeah and for that reason the senate has uh, been slower but they have not moved any bills yet uh, for that very reason, if they don't have an agreement on how much to spend. 
Meanwhile, I mentioned Mexico has approved USMCA. What's going on in Congress to get it passed here? Well, I, all eyes are on the House. Um, very important hearings this week, back-to-back hearings, one in the first in the Senate and then in the House yesterday with uh, the U.S. Trade Representative uh, Bob Lighthizer, uh, who came here um, came, came here to Capitol Hill and to sell the uh, USMCA and to talk about uh, trade issues uh, more broadly. He really, really went out of his way to... Uh, um, try to sell it to, to Democrats. He he repeatedly criticized NAFTA, uh, talked about how it's responsible for outsourcing U.S. jobs, and uh, talked at length about how he thought the new agreement was much better and that he was willing to negotiate with the Democrats on uh, provisions outside of the uh, the text of the agreement themselves that would, that would address their concerns about enforcement and drug pricing. Interesting. I saw a story where some members of Congress are wondering or questioning why Secretary Purdue hasn't been as active on Capitol Hill as Trade Ambassador uh, Lighthizer. Uh, you been hearing anything about that? Yeah, I heard that from, uh, I heard that yesterday. Um, you know, Bob Lighthizer is really the uh, really the point for the uh, for the administration's trade policy. Um, uh, Purdue has uh, obviously been out uh, some of the country talking about it. Did he make a difference? Um, um, you know, I'm not sure that the that the members that uh, he would make the most difference with um, are really the, the hold up to getting it passed. Um, because there's, you know, there's a relatively small number of uh, rural uh, Democrats, and they're most likely to be on board with this uh, this agreement. It's uh, probably other members that, uh, for, with whom uh, Secretary Purdue would be uh, less uh, less effective, that uh, need to be uh, brought in. And those, we're talking about House Democrats. And meanwhile, as I mentioned earlier, uh, all eyes on this upcoming G20 meeting. That could that could go a long ways towards getting things back on track with something with China. Boy, we're going to be watching that closely. The, the president um, really promoting his meeting with uh, President Xi um, at, the, at the G20, announcing that earlier this week. Um, I, uh, Trade Representative, again, Bob Lighthizer, um, said that he will be meeting with his counterpart from Japan uh, on the sidelines of the G20 to uh, try to move along their negotiations uh, over a bilateral uh, on ag trade with, uh, with Japan. He was uh, actually sounded fairly optimistic about doing something, uh, uh, he said, uh, in the next few months, the way he put it. Good. He talked about it both in the Senate and uh, on the House side uh, this week. Well, let's hope we can get some movement there. We'll we'll be watching that closely. Phil, as always, thanks for the update. Glad to be here. Phil Brasher with AgriPulse Communications checking in with us from Capitol Hill. We'll talk about that G20 meeting coming up next with Dave Salmonson with the American Farm Bureau Federation. Stay with us on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, right now I want to talk about beef trade. Joining us is Kent Backus, Senior Director of International Trade for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Kent, thanks for joining us. Uh, Bring us up to date on where we're at with the European Union. Now, they're they're going to accept more U.S. beef, right? But what are the details on this? Well, Mike, that's the, that's the big question is, uh, yes, we've seen the plans and we've seen this announcement come out, but this is not implemented. And I think that's important for everyone to remember that we can't uh, start popping champagne bottles just yet because the good news is is that the, the Europeans have agreed to a, a U.S.-specific quota of 35,000 metric tons. But the concern is whether it will actually be implemented and when. So we're very supportive of this step forward. We think it's a, a it's a nice step forward. It's certainly welcome news, but we can't celebrate just yet. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. 
Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. Want to reduce your risk of heart disease, diabetes, and stroke? Simple. Eat right. This is registered dietitian nutritionist Melissa Dobbins. A healthy diet can mean a healthier you. So eat a variety of proteins each week. Seafood, lean meat, poultry, beans, and nuts. Fill half your plate with fruits and vegetables at every meal. Choose foods that are lower in calories, fat, and sodium. Limit your alcohol and maintain a healthy weight. Let a registered dietitian nutritionist help you achieve your goals. Find one near you at eatright.org. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. Who, <clears throat> me? Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. Uh. Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Ugh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. All right, let's talk trade issues with Dave Salmonson, Senior Director of Congressional Relations for the American Farm Bureau Federation. Dave, let's look at USMCA. It's passed in Mexico. Where do we stand here in the U.S.? Well, here in the U.S., still working through the procedures, you might say. We had uh, the head of the USTR, Ambassador Lighthizer, testified this week before the Senate Finance Committee and the House Ways and Means Committee, uh, telling them the administration was ready to go, uh, wanted to work with them, make sure they could get the implementing bill in shape so they could send it up. You know, that hasn't been forwarded to the Congress yet. Uh, they want to work with the leadership to make sure it's, uh, it has everything in it that's necessary for passage, and they have to do that really before they can present it to the House and the Senate. So that process is ongoing. The House uh, Democrats have established four negotiating groups to talk to the White House about labor, environment, drug pricing, and enforcement issues. Uh, try to work through those and then uh, move the process along. So you might say it's following its course. It's just not doing it as quickly as uh, we probably all would want it to, to be done. So the fact that it's not actually been submitted to Congress indicates that there are issues that have to yet be resolved because they don't want to risk submitting it and, and it not passing, right? Yeah, that's, uh, that's a, you really don't want to send it up and then, again, have a, a problem arise. Because once it's uh, submitted to Congress, once they receive it, it automatically, over time, uh, will proceed to a vote. But if the issues aren't settled ahead of time, you know, you may risk uh, not getting approval. And you also risk there's a provision in the Trade Promotion Authority legislation whereby either House can, as they say, take away the fast-track procedures, uh, meaning that they could say, well, uh, we're not going to protect this bill from amendments. And then, of course, it would all bog down and basically stop. So the whole thing, it's a kind of an inverted process from a normal piece of legislation where it's submitted and then you work on amendments and changes. Here you have to make sure the bill has gone all through the discussions and any potential changes uh, before you submit it to Congress. So that's where we are right now. Are any of these issues deal-breakers, or do you see them as something that uh, uh, will be resolved here before long? 
I think with uh, goodwill on either side, I think they all can get resolved. They're all addressed in certain ways within the legislation, within the uh, within the uh, trade agreement. Um, enforcement issues on labor, that's embedded in the agreement. In the old NAFTA, it was what they called the side agreement, wasn't part of the original uh, agreement. That's in there now. Environmental enforcement is in there now. There is a little dispute over uh, the years of protection for patents on drugs. Uh, that's a uh, thing that basically a, a dispute between pharmaceutical companies and generic drug makers. So they uh, have to discuss that. And overall enforcement. You know, there's been a whole long-standing issue over whether the, the dispute settlement panels in NAFTA were effective. Uh, any country can block them. So how to make sure the issues come up are actually dealt with. So these are things that can get resolved. A lot of these issues were discussed in the process of the negotiations. Um, I think uh, people in the House Democratic side want some more beefed up labor and environmental protections and enforcement. And the administration, Ambassador Lighthizer, pledged to work with them to sort this out. So how long it takes, we don't know, but there is a resolution. You think it'll get passed this year? I think it will. I think, uh, as we know from the political pressures of the campaign and for long and uh, experience, uh, trying to move trade bills through in election years is not a, uh, a high percentage game. Um, so if we're going to get it done, uh, I think we get it done this year. There's a lot of push. We're certainly uh, pushing. I think all of agriculture is saying sooner rather than later, let's get these issues resolved. Let's try to move this. We'd like really prefer to have uh, at least one House, and it has to start in the House of Representatives, get it done before the August recess. Uh, there is time. There's another five weeks. They could work ahead on these issues, but you always have to say, well, if time runs out on that, then pick it right up as soon as they come back after Labor Day. So uh, we're trying to get it done as soon as we can. Talking with Dave Salmonson, Senior Director of Congressional Relations for the American Farm Bureau Federation. Hard to uh, hard to gauge how high the uh, the anticipation and the hopes are for this G20 meeting coming up. I mean, kind of off the charts here because it seems like uh, the hopes of getting a deal done with China are now pinned on these these upcoming talks. Well, yes, after what happened, uh, you know, end of April, early May, where we had thought that uh, things were coming together and then the uh, deal wasn't there. Uh, administration says China backed out on some important provisions that they thought they had agreement on, so uh, they backed away then. And now we have a chance with the meeting in the G20 between President Trump and President Xi of China to, in a sense, reset the negotiations. I don't think there's a lot of confidence or people saying there will be a deal announced, but say, you know, you never know. Uh, but it's more thinking here's a chance for the leaders and their staff to get together, hone in on the issues that are still dividing them from a deal, and uh, start up again. Uh, we haven't really seen, at least in public, any high-level negotiations going on between the U.S. and China. So perhaps this is a chance to kickstart this uh, and get this going again, something certainly that uh, U.S. agriculture wants to have happen, want to get back into the uh, business of being able to sell uh, to China, want them to resolve some issues. And, of course, we want both sides to be able to uh, forego adding tariffs and uh, start to remove the ones that are there. So. A lot riding on a uh, on these meetings next week in, uh, in at the G20 in Japan. But the way this goes and has gone in the past, I, I guess we would consider it a, a, a big positive if they come out of these talks agreeing to continue to talk, right? So that's kind of the way these things yeah. work. That is kind of the way these things work. Since they broke off, uh, it seemed, um, well, at the time it seemed rather abruptly. Um, and have yet to make, at least publicly, any progress since then. So it seems like they have to get uh, get back to the table, hopefully pick up where they did leave off, and move forward um, as soon as they can. So that's what we're all looking for uh, coming out of those meetings next week. And then hopefully the, we'll get some movement on talks with Japan as well. Yeah, I think that uh, while they're there, there, uh, there will be some discussions between uh, Ambassador Lighthizer at USTR and his Japanese counterparts. Um, he said uh, in hearings this week they thought they could move quickly on that, thought they could make a deal, uh, and I think the Japanese are certainly willing to discuss making a deal on uh, with agriculture. 
They've certainly offered what they had offered within the Trans-Pacific Partnership uh, construct a few years ago and also are willing to say they would catch us up on where we are on tariffs with our competitors, the other countries that stayed within the TPP, so we wouldn't fall behind. The, uh, might say the obstacle to getting that done um, is probably coupled with agriculture talks or talks on autos. Uh, they also want some agreement on auto tariffs and auto trade, and we all know what a longstanding issue that has been between the U.S. and Japan. But uh, these have been uh, constant discussions, but there's been no break in discussions with them really over the last uh, few months. So we hope that could come to a uh, get some kind of agreement as soon as we can, hopefully this summer. Yeah, as with China, we should not expect a deal to be announced uh, next week during the talks. But again, uh, just an indication that they'll continue to talk and hopefully that they're making progress. Yeah, what's different about this with Japan, like say, than different than the USMCA, is they're trying to make a deal uh, quickly on ag and autos. This wouldn't have to go through Congress. This would mostly be it wouldn't the U.S. doing anything. Mostly it would be Japan doing things, lowering tariffs. So that's something basically the two governments could agree to, and that could come into force. And all the other issues that go along with having a full-blown trade agreement, and there's there's many, would be de- dealt with later on. Um, much like the way the China deal would work. So that's uh, what gives us uh, the expectation that if agreement has come into place, they could sign off on that and move ahead. Just just watch the stock market. Just when it was uh, reported that uh, they would talk, President Trump and uh, President Xi would talk, stock market went wild. So it shows how much uh, uh, importance <laughs> and anticipation these talks have. Well, heading into the people uh, want to see a resolution. You know, right now there's ongoing hearings here in Washington at the trade rep's office about the latest proposal to impose 25% tariffs and all the remainder of Chinese imports. We have tariffs on about $250 billion. This proposal would put import tariffs on the remainder of about $300 billion of imports from China. Uh, a lot of people are con- very concerned about the economic impact of that, what that will do for the future, uh, all kinds of retailers about Christmas buying. So uh, a lot on these the kinds of issues, uh, a lot on the line. That's right. Dave, thank you for the update. We'll talk again after those uh, G20 talks, okay? Okay, you bet. Thanks, Dave. Dave Salmonson, Senior Director, Congressional Relations for the American Farm Bureau Federation. We will talk markets next with Arlen Suderman here on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Hi, I'm Greg Peterson of the Peterson Farm Brothers. If you've seen our videos, you know we're proud to be farmers. Farming can be dangerous. Never assume location or depth of underground utilities or pipelines. Before you start any work on your farm, call 811 or visit clickbeforeyoudig.com to have underground lines located. It only takes a minute and can save your life. Never assume the location or depth of underground lines. Always call 811 or visit clickbeforeyoudig.com before you start work. A message from the Pipeline Operators for Ag Safety Campaign. Hi, I'm George Foreman. Do you have an idea for a new product or invention? People ask me all the time, George, how do I get my idea in front of companies? How do I get a patent? What do I do next? Do you have the same questions? I'll tell you like I'll tell them all. Call my friends at InventHelp. To get your free inventor's information, call 1-800-352-0432. That's 1-800-352-0432. I believe every inventor deserves the opportunity to step into the ring and take their best shot. Put InventHelp in your corner. Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Positive tone to the grain and oil seed sector early on Thursday's session. An hour into the day's trade, soybean futures trending a dime higher, around a nickel higher in corn, if not better, two to five cents higher in the wheats. Grain export sales a bit soft on wheat this week, coming in at the low end of trader expectations. Corn and soybean sales came in a little bit higher, according to the Weyer Talk. Egypt's state grain importing agency buying 290,000 metric tons of wheat in an international tender on Wednesday. That wheat came from Russia and Romania. ADM, CHS, among the five firms to have their offers rejected. Wheat futures have been backpedaling as of late. Some traders believing were too expensive on the world stage. 
Private exporters reporting sales of 189,000 metric tons of soybeans for delivery to unknown destinations, 122,000 metric tons of corn for delivery to Mexico. Corn futures an hour into the day, July up 5.5 at 4.46.5, December 4.60.5 up 7.25. July soybeans up nine and three quarters at nine thirteen. November up a dime at nine thirty eight and three quarters. Chicago wheat July up four and a quarter, five twenty six and a half. Kansas City July up five and a quarter, four sixty two and three quarters. Minneapolis spring wheat new crop September five fifty one and a quarter up two and three quarters. Live cattle futures June up seven cents at one oh eight fifty five. Feeder cattle August down forty at one thirty six twelve. Lean hog futures July down 57 at 81.05. The Dow up 200 points, S&P up 22, July crude in New York up $2.26. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Sometimes life is wonderful, and sometimes it's not. Cherish the good, but always be prepared for life's challenges. At Private Healthcare, we provide the peace of mind you deserve. With Private Healthcare, you'll get the coverage you want and healthcare you need. If your employer doesn't supply healthcare coverage and you don't qualify for Medicare or Medicaid, you need to give us a call right now. Private Healthcare is private health insurance for ages 65 and under with medical, dental, vision, and even prescription coverage. When life comes at you unexpectedly, you need to be ready. And health insurance is your financial safety net. If you're looking for health coverage at the best price and your annual household income is $35,000 or more, give us a call at 800-664-2612. That's 800-664-2612. 800-664-2612. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. All right, let's talk markets with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for INTL FC Stone. Arlen, before we get into the uh, production uh, challenges and issues, let's talk exports. What? How, how much business are we doing? Well, not much business right now because uh, we have a new crop uh, now available to the market in Argentina and soon to be available the safrina crop in Brazil. We've cut the first 10% or so of the safrina crop, and it's starting to make its way to the export terminals, and, and it's priced well under us. Some of that's because of our stronger currency relative to theirs, and some of it's because of the rally we've had in prices. So the rationing process has begun, and uh, we're notching back our export target for this year and for next year as the higher prices do their work. And that's going to be an issue for a while, right? Uh, uh, we're going to be higher priced than our competitors. Yeah, I mean, that's that's what the market's job is. Obviously, if you see a short crop to the terms that uh, we think it will be, we can't export everything we were planning on export. We won't have enough corn to export, and, and we'll import more corn as well. And uh, that's certainly something that uh, makes a lot of headlines when we do it. But if you look back, uh, we've had imports of 160 million bushels back when we had the drought of uh, 2012. Uh, More coming out of Canada, more coming from South America here into the United States. We know that they're looking at it certainly in the southeast feed regions, importing some uh, Argentine and maybe Brazilian corn. And uh, even in the eastern Midwest, where they're expected to have a big deficit this year, they're looking at that possibility of importing some corn and what it would take to do so. Uh, That's just part of it. I mean, we're looking at a disaster year, and you have to go to uh, those measures in those conditions. Well, let's take a look at that production and the shortfalls that we're going to be experiencing this year. Um, A lot's been made of this week's uh, crop planting number, 92% of the corn crop planted, and immediately the question started uh, being raised, 92% of what? What was intended to be planted, what would have been planted under normal conditions, or 92% of what can be planted? So there's been all kinds of speculation around that. What do you make of it? 
Yeah, I used to fill those reports out uh, in a previous life, and uh, it's it's 92% of intended acreage. So what is intended acreage? And so if a farmer had 1,000 acres he intended to plant back in March when he filled out the USDA government survey, um, and it's the 1st of June, and he has 650 acres, 650 acres planted, then he is 65% planted. And it starts raining, and it just doesn't break, and the deadline hits, and he can't plant anymore. He is now 100% planted. So when you get those weekly crop progress reports, um, you know, we always have this period of ambiguity in late May and early June as what does this mean? Does that mean we got everything planted we wanted to get planted, or we just gave up and intentions now match what we actually planted and the unplanted acres either go to prevent plant or get switched to another crop like soybeans. This year that ambiguity means a whole lot more and uh, next week's acreage survey won't answer the questions. In fact, those questions will not get answered until FSA starts releasing uh, acres that farmers certify in August and September. So we're not going to know for a while. My estimates as I uh, kind of survey around our various offices or across the Midwest is that we're probably at about seven and a half million acres that were intended in March that went unplanted. Uh, USDA tends to have a lower number, tends to underreport those acres. So right now I'm working off a of seventy, uh, off a of seven million acre loss. Wow! I asked a, a, an analyst yesterday this question. I want to ask this of you: If you had been told in late winter or very early spring that we would have millions of acres go unplanted this year and many of them in the heart of our production area, some of our best land would you have thought the market would be higher than what it is right now the corn market would it would you have guessed then that it would be higher here on june 20th than it is now what would you say no, no, I'm really not surprised because uh, excessively wet years are very difficult for the market to get a handle on. Uh, rain makes grain until it doesn't, and it's just very rare that it doesn't. And these algo traders that have billions of dollars behind them really don't know how to deal with it, and that's not a surprise. And uh, so this is something that has, takes some patience to play out, uh, not just to find out what the acres are but what the yield is, the potential range in yields is vast and huge and so i think that the algos and, and all the funds are going to be very careful to kind of trade usda data and usda is going to be careful and conservative they do want not want to be going back and forth on yields or acreage and uh, so this is going to have to play out over time mm-hmm. all right now what are your thoughts on on the soybean market and how do we have a handle yet on how many acres switched to beans or just weren't going to get planted, aren't going to get planted at all to either crop? You know, we do, we do not on soybeans. I know early on some of the areas that were dry enough to plant, we had farmers returning soybean seed to plant more corn because they saw what was happening in corn and that we were going to be short on corn acres this year. Um, and... I anticipate then we had a lot of I don't know we had a lot of farmers who uh, could not plant corn and were switching to soybeans. So in the first week of June, when the survey was done for next week's report, what was the status of farmers? Probably much different than what it is today. So next week's report is kind of a throwaway report from that standpoint on the acreage side, because the dynamics are totally different now than when the farmers filled out that survey. So. Uh, if we dry out at the end of this month, as some forecasts call for us to do, and I realize you just don't uh, quit raining one day and start planting the next day, but if we get a long enough window of opportunity, a lot of soybeans are going to go in late. They will have a yield hit, but they will go in late, and uh, the acreage could still increase, or we could be down 6 to $8 million. It's a, a wide possibility of what could happen yet. So we have a real lag here. I mean, we, we're used to instant information, but we have a real lag here on information we're getting, numbers that we're getting, and what's really the conditions, what's happening out in, uh, out in the fields. Absolutely. And to say definitely this is how many acres we're going to gain or lose is like throwing a, a dart at a dartboard. Everyone wants answers. 
but there's just a, a wealth of things that could happen yet. We're talking with Arlen I know what Suderman. my bias is. Yeah. <laughs> you want to go, go ahead and share that with us? Well, my bias is we're going to have trouble getting the soybean acres in as well, but yield is going to be the bigger factor, the bigger hit. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, and so many unknowns. We don't know how this growing season, however long it may be, how it's going to play out. Yeah, exactly right. Now, as we look at the weather, um, the analog years, it does suggest a warm September and October. That doesn't keep you from having an aberration where a cold front comes down in the Midwest, gives you a freeze, but it does decrease your odds of having a a normal freeze date or or certainly an early help us. Uh, one of my concerns with soybeans is we got a lot of 30-inch row soybeans out there in the Midwest now and that are not going to close those rows. We're going to have a lot of problems with weeds, and this is also the perfect spring for setting up sudden death syndrome in soybeans as well, let alone all the problems with the corn being uneven, the tight soils that are out there. Uh, there there's just a myriad of problems uh, ahead of us and, and possibilities that could still happen. Yeah, the planting that was done in Far less than ideal conditions, uh, compaction issues and things like that. Lots to deal with. We're talking with Arlen Suderman with INTLFC Stone. I uh, want to talk a little bit about uh, the the pork situation. I mean, we know African swine fever is still devastating uh, not only China, but uh, Vietnam and some other countries in Southeast Asia. But uh, we're really, that door's not open for us to sell into, to, into China uh, yet. So what, what's your outlook for the hog market? Well, state buyers can still buy, and and as I've talked to some of the industry people who have sold hogs, and I've asked, okay, you sell them to private or to, to state buyers, and they say no comment. Um, so I'm anticipating a much of the purchases. I don't know, but I'm anticipating much of the purchases are state buyers. Um, nothing in this week's export sales report. In fact, a small reduction. Um, we've seen that before, but shipments are picking up the pace, and that's one of the keys to watch. Uh, shipments are picking up uh, 5,800 metric tons uh, in the latest week reported. Uh, I did get a call from a Chinese media source in Beijing yesterday asking me about the U.S. farmers and, and their attitudes and, and where they're at and uh, just kind of taking the t- temperature of what's happening in America and how they sit on the trade war and uh, with African swine fever. Um, but the need, the need is great for meat in China, and I think that they're going to have to buy from us. If they don't buy from us, they're going to have to buy, uh, displace other customers from other sources that are going to have to come from us. So it's going to be a rising tide that lifts all boats, lifting pork prices as we get into, uh, particularly the end of the third quarter this year, I think, and in the fourth quarter for the consumer, causing a shift toward toward beef and poultry, raising those prices, and particularly beef, I think, uh, sees elevated levels as we go into 2020. And again, anticipation of the G20 meetings uh, coming up next week. All right, Arlen, as you said, a lot has to play out yet, and then we'll continue to talk with you as, as it unfolds and see where we go. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mike. Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for INTL FC Stone. Well, a lot of controversy uh, over moving those research agencies out of Washington, D.C. to Kansas City. But it's good news for that Kansas City region. We will talk with the executive director of the Agricultural Business Council of Kansas City. Bob Peterson joins us next on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Have you written a book and want to get it published? Then call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 immediately. That's 800-955-4538. Page Publishing is looking for authors of all types of books. And unlike most publishers, Page Publishing will take the time to review each and every book submitted to them and give you their feedback. If they like what they read, they'll get your book into bookstores and for sale online at Amazon, the Apple iTunes Store, Barnes & Noble, and other outlets. They handle everything, editing, cover design, copyright protection, printing, publicity, and distribution. So if you've written a novel, children's book, cookbook, inspirational work, poetry, or a biography and want to get it published, then you need to call Page Publishing and do it immediately. 
Call 800-955-4538 now for your free author submission kit. Again, for your free author submission kit, call 800-955-4538. That's 800-955-4538. Your road to fame and fortune could very well start with this simple phone call. Call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 for your free author submission kit. My mom's a breast cancer survivor. The United Breast Cancer Foundation saved her life. Their free breast cancer exam caught the cancer early, and it saved her life. But now the foundation needs your help so they can continue offering free or low-cost breast screening exams, saving more women's lives. Help them by donating your car, whether it's running or not. They'll provide fast, free 24-hour pickup, and you receive a charitable tax deduction, plus the great feeling you'll get knowing your donated car is going to help save more lives. Just call 800-745-3327 to set the wheels in motion. They take cars, trucks, vans, and SUVs, running or not. Call 800-745-3327. The United Breast Cancer Foundation needs your help, and your donation could literally save women's lives, helping them catch breast cancer early like they did with my mom. Donate today, 800-745-3327, 800-745-3327. Soybean growers are going all in on Ingenia herbicide. Now BASF is going all in on Ingenia growers. We're so confident in the performance of this solution, we're now backing it with the Ingenia herbicide weed control guarantee so you can have true peace of mind. And you can tap into our expanded Grow Smart Rewards program and get cash back. Go all in today at IngeniaHerbicide.com. Grow smart with BASF. Always read and follow label directions. You're going to need me. You're going to need us. All of us. You're going to need our technical skills, our math, our engineering skills. You're going to need our help with your water, your air, your food. You're going to need our organizational skills, our problem-solving skills. You're going to need our determination, our honesty, our compassion. You're going to need the next generation of leaders to face the challenges the future will bring. And we promise. We'll be there when you need us. Today, 4-H is growing the next generation of leaders. Support us at 4-H.org. Do you know how to keep food safe at home? Clean, separate, cook, and chill. The easy lessons of clean, separate, cook, and chill will help you protect your family and be food safe. Let's talk about how to really cook. First, you can't tell it's done by how it looks. Use a food thermometer. Then, always stir, rotate the dish, and cover food when microwaving to prevent cold spots where bacteria can survive. Fast cooking should still be safe cooking. And bring sauces, soups, and gravies to a rolling boil when reheating. Even for the most experienced cooks, the improper heating and preparation of food means bacteria can survive. Food safety risks at home are more common than most people think. The USDA is your partner in being food safe. Clean, separate, cook, and chill. For more information, visit BeFoodSafe.gov or call 1-888-MP-HOTLINE. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, talking with Maggie Elowani with the National Rural Health Association. Maggie, you talked about the number of rural hospitals closing. Are we also seeing... A, mergers, takeovers uh, happening uh, within the uh, rural hospital system as well? We certainly are, and there's been an increase in mergers, and, and some of those have been very positive. They've helped some small rural providers with the cash flow they need to keep their doors open. Others, and this is really frustrating, have purchased some of these facilities only to close them a short time afterwards. So simply being bought out and merging with another facility doesn't mean that we're going to be able to ensure access to care in those rural communities. So we really need kind of a long-term strategy of really thinking about why these hospitals are closing and what we need to do to change them. And it's because there have been so many different cuts that have occurred to these hospitals. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. 
You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Relocating research agencies is controversial in Washington, D.C., but not so in Kansas City, the site chosen uh, for those agencies to move to. Let's talk about that with Bob Peterson, Executive Director of the Agricultural Business Council of Kansas City. Bob, thanks for being with us. Uh, Tell us how you felt when you got the news that uh, Kansas City had been chosen. Mike, good morning. We were thrilled when we got the news that Kansas City... uh would be the location for these very important economic agencies. We, we're in the mix with some very uh, talented other areas, some very, cable, uh, very able competitors. As we uh, try to be objective and sort through the different factors that we thought weighed in our favor, we felt like we should have a good chance. Um, but then when it actually the announcement was made, we were, we were very pleased, very gratified. What will it mean for the region? It's a great asset to the region. It's, uh, it means access to us to world-class talent, number one. Uh, number two, it means uh, bringing, you know, in a little bit broader sense, bringing 550 really good jobs uh, to the Kansas City region, uh, a region that continues to be one of the nation's leading agricultural hubs. And we think we've got a good pool of talent here uh, for USDA over the long term to draw from. We... Uh, Within 300 miles, we have access to 13 land-grant institutions. That's that's pretty good. Uh, that's pretty impressive. I'm not sure many geographies can say that. And, in fact, just within a more immediate area, uh, we had the support from four area land grants, uh, University of Missouri, Kansas State, Iowa State, University of Nebraska, Lincoln, who went together to uh, tell the secretary that Kansas City is a great a great central location. There are still efforts underway that would block the relocation. Are you concerned about those? You know, uh, we will just watch uh, and see how all that plays out. Uh, that's going to be on our means to uh, control or influence. Uh, we feel good about the Secretary's decision. Uh, we think the Department remains strongly committed to that, and uh, we, we remain optimistic that, uh, that it will come to fruition. In fact, it sounds like it could be um, taking place sooner rather than later. From what we've heard, they'd like to have a few people uh, on the ground in Kansas City as early as next month, and uh, that's pretty quick. Logistically, as far as uh, where they will be located, has that been decided? It has not. Um, and I should say the Kansas City Area Development Council, KCADC, has been the lead uh, in this community for the regional proposal, and they've done just a marvelous job. Very professional staff, and they've worked really, really hard to put uh, our best foot forward in the Kansas City area. And I know they're uh, showing USDA and GSA, I think, seven different properties. Uh, but I think all of those decisions are, are yet to be made. Um, some are on the Missouri side of the river. Some are on the Kansas side of the river. So what, uh, as the news spread throughout the region, uh, kind of give us uh, an idea of uh, how it was received and, uh, you know, just just the general reaction throughout the community, throughout the region. You know, the uh, response has been uniformly positive. Uh, within our group, we have a lot of uh, agribusinesses. We have a lot of producer organizations and uh, fi- financial services, everything related to agriculture and uh, Uniformly, this has been greeted uh, as, as great news. You know, it's one thing to think, uh, you know, it's nice to have these agencies that are so significant here in the heartland and close to the people that they serve. Uh, but, you know, bigger picture-wise, the Secretary said this decision would be would be driven by economics and cost savings. And as I read the numbers and as they went through the analysis, that certainly was the overall driving factor. Once you get outside of the Washington, D.C. Beltway, uh, the cost in many communities, uh, cost of living, gets a lot more reasonable. And in Kansas City, uh, that's particularly the case. I think 
the folks moving here from USDA will appreciate how far their housing dollar will go, the nice neighborhoods we have, and um, and a decent commute maybe for the first time in a long time. Yeah, the cost savings are being disputed by those that are opposing the move, so that uh, that controversy plays out. Uh, it remains to be seen how many of the current employees will actually be moving to uh, Kansas City, but it uh, sounds like you feel that uh, uh, you have the talent pool there that could replace those at uh, any openings that they may have. You know, we're pretty optimistic about that. Um, the KCADC, the, the experts in these areas who work with many different entities as they, as they move offices and, and move geographies, I, I believe they were estimating 40 to 50 percent would move um, and who knows, you know, what that will actually turn out to be. Uh, but they say in a typical corporate move anyway, that would be a relatively high number. So, I'm, I mean, this is going to be a readjustment for the people who are coming. I don't want to minimize that. Uh, and I, I also uh, sympathize with them. Many of us during the course of our careers have moved of our own choice or not, and it's very disruptive to families. So here in Kansas City, we want to do everything we can to help minimize those disruptions and roll out the welcome mat, um, offer connections to uh, family members and so forth who, who might be looking for a job. Well, Bob, congratulations uh, to your area. Uh, I know this is indeed welcome news, and uh, hopefully the transition will be a smooth one, even though it's uh, got plenty of controversy tied around it right now. Hopefully it will smooth out and uh, work out well for those involved. Thank you very much for the update. Good to talk with you again. Thank you, Mike. Thanks for what you do. Take care. Bob Peterson, Executive Director of the Agricultural Business Council of Kansas City. So a lot of layers to this as we've been talking about uh, the movement of uh, people concerned about loss of uh, some very valuable experienced people uh, and then it goes beyond replacing them to uh, some have said the administration just wants to move it to, because they don't agree with some of the findings of the of the research agency. So there are a lot of layers to this that we'll continue to discuss and take a look at moving forward. Coming up tomorrow we're going to get an update on efforts to pass a tax extenders package and look at growing environmental pressures on agriculture. Hope you'll join us tomorrow right here on AOA. Soybean growers are going all in on Ingenia herbicide. Now BASF is going all in on Ingenia growers. We're so confident in the performance of this solution, we're now backing it with the Ingenia herbicide weed control guarantee so you can have true peace of mind. And you can tap into our expanded Grow Smart Rewards program and get cash back. Go all in today at IngeniaHerbicide.com. Grow smart with BASF. Always read and follow label directions.